Welcome to The Label Podcast, a show about disability, illness and difference. I'm Lucy. And I'm Alice. Don't forget in this episode, I might swear, Lucy might cry, and you can check out details of the trigger warnings on our website. Hi gang, just wanted to let you know we had a few sound issues with this episode. It's still perfectly audible and i just really like to encourage you to stick it out and listen. Thanks. Welcome to another edition of the Label Podcast. I am Lucy and I'm here with my co-host, Alice. Hello Alice. Hi Lucy, how are Hello. you? Hello, I'm alright, thank you. How are you? I'm much better for seeing you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I am I am all right. I am tired and busy, but I think that I think I've said this before that may just be existence past the age of 30. Yeah, so. I think so because I'm going through exactly the same thing. <laughs> I think yeah. they said he saw a tweet the other day that was like you reach like your late 20s early 30s and you wake up tired one day and that's just it until yeah. you die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'm really yeah. experiencing that myself. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's fine we can we're having fun while we're doing it yes we are exactly um but no it's good it's good to it's good to see you. we've not spoken for a while have we and i feel like my mm. right arm's been cut off so <laughs> no it's uh it's good it's good to see you yeah it's always nice to get to have a catch up and put the world to rights a bit um, yeah i always feel slightly better when i've spoken to alice <laughs> i do wonder if uh sometimes we should we could record those conversations and just just a whole episode for people be like this is behind the scenes for you guys here you go this is quite boring yeah it's just us complaining and talking about what we're having for our tea i suppose, I suppose though it, we are we we are you know it is nice that we actually do like each other it's not like richard and judy who, who i believe have a deep hatred for one I was another say you are convinced that richard and judy have been on the brink of divorce for 25 years oh absolutely absolutely <laughs> so we've got another guest for you guys this week this week we are joined by davina patterson all the way from uh, america davina it works for an organization called the disability resource network who uh support people to live independently in i want to say alabama is that right davina that is correct alabama yes ma'am <laughs> I love it. I love the accent. Uh, uh, well, you know, <laughs> loving my accent, but hey, I'll take it. <laughs> Whereas our accents are a bit like brummy, aren't they? And, All well, right, dear Bubba, how are you? I was going to say, Dave's been uh, watching Guy Ritchie movies recently, and his favorite uh, thing to do when someone with a Cockney accent comes on is he'll go, What? And I'll be like, what? And he'll look at me and he goes, I didn't know you were in this. <laughs> when did you get the chance to film this? Absolutely brilliant. Because oh. he thinks I've got this awful Cockney accent. What a card. That's one word for it. Yeah. <laughs> Davina, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. So I'm currently the executive director 
of Disability Resource Network, which is a nonprofit 501c3 Center for Independent Living located in Huntsville, Alabama, but we service 13 counties in North Alabama. And those counties are rural counties. Um, they're made up of rural counties. And then our biggest county, Madison County, would be more like a metropolitan or, or urban area. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I also uh, graduated from the University of Alabama at Birmingham, go Blazers. <laughs> I have a bachelor's of science degree in healthcare management. I've been working in healthcare for over about 15 years. I started out in um, outpatient um, ambulatory services. I worked up into um, management and now I'm a, I'm a director, so. That sounds really interesting. I do love the, the difference between your pronunciation of Birmingham and Lucy's earlier pronunciation of Birmingham. <laughs> difference uh, huh <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so why don't you tell us a little bit about the disability resource network and kind of the work that you guys do yes so disability resource network we provide five core services we provide independent living skills training peer support we also do transition services that's youth and nursing home transition we do um, advocacy systems advocacy and self-advocacy and we also do um, information and referrals. Okay, so it sounds, um, I mean, it sounds like you guys are obviously trying to do a lot of work to promote that kind of independent, I mean, recluting the name, the independent living um, service, but that you are really actively trying to, to help uh, disabled people kind of become independent. I imagine certainly in, um, and I think we've said this before on the show, that I think the rural experience mm -hmm. in, um, places like Alabama is probably incredibly different to the rural experience um, over here and I imagine that that the ability to be independent when you're living you know a hundred miles from someone else anyone else is um, it probably takes a lot more work than it it potentially uh, you know does for people here who are living in rural situations because you know we even if you live in a ice on an isolated farm on you know, British mainland, you're not 100 miles from no. someone. You could drive an hour and then be like in the nearest town, mm. you know, if, you know, if that's so, uh, you know, it's, it must be a very different experience in America because obviously you're a larger country that, you know, if you're, if you are rural America, you are rural for a long time before you sort of see another village or, or town. Yes, yes, that is correct. Um, a lot of places, it, it may be about an hour. Um, mm. Some are closer. It, it just depends on the area. Mm. So what was it that kind of got, you know, got you to be interested in um, kind of working with and, and supporting um, disabled people and, and promoting kind of disabled independence? Well, I, I before I joined Disability Resource Network, I did work for a nonprofit. I worked for something called a federally qualified health center. We call that a FQHC, where we work primarily with underserved and unserved populations. Um, mm -hmm. Most of the patients um, had Medicaid or they were uninsured. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, it was a federal program and I really enjoyed working there, but 
working with people with disabilities is more of, of a focus. Um, so I, I gained an interest in it because I've had so many uh, family members and friends that have disabilities and there's such a lack of resources, such a lack of education and understanding of people with disabilities and just the um, different, uh, the various types of disabilities. You know, most people, when they think of disabilities, they think of a physical disability. So just bringing the awareness and educating others about disability, um, it just, it, it sparked a passion in me. Mm -hmm. um, going through it with family members and, and people in the community and friends and, and just uh, even patients that um, had very limited resources, very limited support. And I just saw a very um, great need to um, be a leader in, in this type of setting. Yeah, I can see that. And I think that it's really important to um, kind of embrace that allyship. You know, one of the things that you see so often is, um, you know, is, is there is this this feeling um, amongst some people in the, the non-disabled community that, you know, working with disabled people, you're there to to help them. And actually, you know, looking at the kind of the words that you're using there is it's not it's not that kind of this person needs my help because I'm better than them. I've got skills that they couldn't possibly have you know what what it really sounds like you took from that was your experiences of people people with disabilities as you say lacking resources being underserved um and you're working to try and kind of actually provide a system that allows people to help themselves absolutely yes, yes. do you find do you find that quite a rewarding thing like i i think that's the role that i've taken on i i uh th there's you know whatever field i decided to go in i, I feel that it would have been rewarding but um this is this is more of where i supposed to be mm -hmm. and um and i'm gonna make sure that we spotlight and we highlight mm. for independent living people with disabilities and some of the challenges and the issues that they face. Yeah. And whether I move on and go into something else, this will always be a part of what I do. Mm. Because I'm, I'm not just, it's not just a job for me. It's, it's not a job. It's not just a title. It's, it's an actual um, calling. There's a need for it. Whether I do it in my personal life or my professional life is something that I have a passion for. And, um, you know, I, I just, it's a belief, you know, I believe everybody should be treated with dignity and respect. Everyone should have rights. I, I you know, I feel that everyone should have access um, to, to the community. Everyone should have accessible education. That's, it's just, it's more than just an, it's a belief that I have. And is it rewarding? I don't necessarily look at it like that. It, it definitely is, you know, but it's, it's more of something that just ne it needs to be done. Yeah, it's that really rings true to me. I um, I work for a charitable organization as well. And I remember 
when I told my brother about um, I, I started this job at the end of 2021. I told my brother about the job or the, the work that we do is um, with people uh, who have learning disabilities, neurodiversities, um, cognitive differences. And um, he said, it sounds like very worthwhile work. And I said, no, you, sound, you make it sound dirty by saying that. I'm not doing this because it's, oh, I'm such a saint for doing these good works. This is, it's not why I do it. I do it because it, as much as, as you say, it, it's work that needs doing and it's important work is also work that I love doing, that I get, I, I get something out of. Um, for me you know in a kind of selfish fashion I I really enjoy my work and the fact that it it helps people and supports people and empowers people is kind of like a a secondary thing because I love doing it and I think that's one of the reasons Alice why me and you get on so well because my line of work for me you know I work we both work within the disability sector as I always call it but we both have a passionate belief in the fact that, you know, disabled people should be given the same opportunities as anybody else. And we, we in our own small way, for, for different areas of, of lifestyles, do our best to help facilitate that for the companies we work for. It's that word dignity. It's the word yes. that, um, that Davina used. That that's the one that I think that's the... That's the thing that is so often lacking. Yeah, and the that's thing the crux that, of it, isn't it? Yeah, really? and the thing that by just empowering people, um, promoting people's own independence, that's yes. the thing that that people, that, that you can give to people um, that that is really lacking um, for so many, yeah. um, you know, people who are kind of disabled or, or vulnerable for whatever other reason. And, and it's that whole empowerment thing, I think, for me that, you know, it's, it's, it, I always say that if somebody's inspired to do something because they've seen me do it or they've, you know, they were inspired by something that I have done, then it's, um, it's a job well done in my book. Do you know what I mean? Because if it, if it makes them realise, well, actually, if, if Lucy's done it, then there's nothing to stop me doing it or you know or giving somebody information to help them make their life a little bit easier i always think you know when when somebody you tell somebody about something and they go oh that's brilliant i didn't i didn't know about that it's that kind of level of that you've empowered them to to go and investigate for themselves and if it turns out that the thing that we've i've suggested isn't for them that's that's fine but yeah um so i think i think being able to empower people with information and being yeah being able to empower people with information that then facilitates them to make their own mind up about whether whether something is right for them or setting them on the right path to discovery of finding something that's right for them is something that i find really um really useful and helpful and it's something that i find very re rewarding to, to, to be able to facilitate that decision making for somebody who may be a bit nervous about something. Was it really worth it? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so what, what would you sort of say that the climate is like for uh, disabled people in, in rural Alabama? Well, it's definitely um, an under-resourced area you know, definitely under-resourced, um, not for just people with disabilities, 
but uh, people without disabilities. So we know people with disabilities, but um, many of them from conversations I've had and just even looking over their, their areas, they have to drive to doctor's appointments mm -hmm. or medical facilities because um, if there is a local one, if there is a local medical facility or, or a hospital doctor's office, they, they, they're not necessarily uh, equipped to um, care for them. So they have to drive to the, the next largest city um, for medical appointments and medical care. Uh, transportation is an issue for many. Um, housing is definitely an issue. Employment and technology. Those are some issues that people uh, with disabilities, especially in rural areas face. Now in our uh, more metropolitan county, they have resources, but a lot of times it's only available to uh, people that are living in that county. Mm. So you have to have an address and be living in that county to get that resource. So they may get financial assistance, utility assistance, um, uh, uh, broad with band with their technology and mm and um, Wi-Fi and, and different things like that. They may have that available to them, but some of our rural counties, they don't, they don't have those options. It's, um, it's almost quite shocking to me. It's almost sort of unbelievable to think that there are people living in the United States who don't have access to the yeah. internet because yeah. just because of where they live and yeah. their kind of their financial situation, you just think, you you're the wealthiest country in the world mm -hmm. and yet there are people who are living in such isolation and poverty well that... you think don't you of the american dream and that kind of thing and it's just yeah and then when you hear that people are struggling to even access the internet you think really oh yeah it's real it's yeah. definitely it's, it's it's a real issue um and the U.S. is definitely um, a great place to live and um, very, very many opportunities. But there are some, you know, it's, it's just such a, a big area. Um, there has to be a shortage somewhere, you know, and then you're under underdeveloped your rural areas. Um, of course, the economy suffers there. Mm -hmm. um, natural natural resources and job you know uh it, it just really takes a toll on yeah. those areas they they don't necessarily get funding like some of your larger cities do as well and it's going to be a cycle isn't it that you know people people are unable to get online and so um you know they're not able to connect with people outside of their small community they're not yeah. able to um you know potentially find online work so it means no. that they remain financially dependent on other people they're not able to you know access um other services and and support and and all sorts of things and you can just see how people in those situations can just get stuck i guess absolutely you know um the nearest job may be 30 miles away and you talking about gas prices being raised. So that's, 
you know, transportation is a is an issue. You you almost have to have in Alabama, you have to have a, a vehicle. Now mm-hmm. there are some developed progressive cities in the US, like New York, they have 24 hour transportation systems, but um, here in Alabama, our transportation system isn't as advanced. Mm. So you have to most, you know, more than likely have a vehicle. Yeah. Mm. Do those situational barriers, so things like not being able to have the internet and that kind of thing and like needing a vehicle, does that have a knock-on impact to societal attitudes towards disability in Alabama? Do you think that because, you know, disabled people might not necessarily be able to afford a vehicle or the internet, that then that also perpetuates the societal um, represent like societal feelings towards disabled people in Alabama? Does that make sense? I haven't, I haven't seen that. I, I haven't seen that. I mean, I'm not saying that people in rural areas don't have internet and vehicles, but you know, those are barriers. Yeah. Whether, whatever part of the world you agree. Mm. Um, and I, I would assume, you know, it's the thing that, that we say is that if you don't see people out there challenging your perspectives and expectations, then yeah. you don't, you, you're, you're, they're not, you know, you go unchallenged. Um, so I imagine people being, unable to get out into you know get into cities and and participate in um wider society and and their their communities is going to have an impact on the way that other people see them because you know if you're brought up to think well wheelchair users can't have a job and you don't see any wheelchair users in in work you're under your expectation about that is is not going to be changed and i i suppose the the thing there is that you know it you need to do two things you need to enable people to wheelchair users to be able to get jobs but you also need to support people to understand the barriers to why their disabled people find you know wheelchair users in this situation find it harder to get work Mm. yeah because it is, it's like the cycle of, well, we don't get you wheelchair users coming to our pub, or why don't you? Well, because we're up a set of steps. Well, if you put a lift in, you might get some more, you know, yeah. be able to see them out and about and enjoying a pint with their mates or whatever. So it is that, that cycle of inaccessibility that then perpetuates, well, you know, we don't, the, the disabled people don't, disabled, the disabled don't like coming out at night. Um, be, and actually we do it's just that we can't get into the pub that everybody is in um so did i tell you about the story that someone at work told me that um she put her blue badge out at a supermarket late at night and someone mm-hmm. told her that she wasn't allowed to use it because they disabled badges don't count at night what because is, the, because disabled people disabled people don't come out after eight o'clock. So, yeah, we're, we're, you know, we're werewolves, we're werewolves, aren't we? Do you know what I mean? The it's op- like... Yes, the opposite. <laughs> we're like day vampires. Yeah, yeah. All tucked just... up in bed by uh, quarter to seven. We just like to live our lives during business hours. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's yeah, it's the cycle of inaccessibility that I think is one of the biggest fuelers of you know misconceptions about people with disabilities and that kind of drives a wedge even further really it's just one of the things 
that I've um, discovered. Do you think, Davina, that you're, um, as a person who doesn't identify as disabled, that, you know, over the years of doing the work that you've done, that you're that you've had yourself kind of challenged and your your thoughts and expectations um, kind of changed? Well, you know, as a Center for Independent Living, we are consumer control, which means that at least 51% of our staff and at least 51% of our board members are people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. So not only do we provide services to people with disabilities, but we staff and our board members are people yeah. with disabilities. Yeah. So the I, I work with people that have disabilities and and they have to um, now they they do have to um, disclose that they well they don't have to but you know it's not necessarily hidden that they have a disability. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you know I've been around people with disabilities and there are many people that have disabilities that like you said they don't self identify as a person with a disability or they just don't disclose it. So, so you don't know, but if you, if you just practice on, if you just practice treating people right and, and being respectful, you know, whether a person has a disability or not, um, you know, that, that, that's, that, that should be internal. Um, yeah. yeah. How you treat people. It, it shouldn't be Absolutely. if they have a disability or not, just, just treat everybody. <laughs> With respect, treat everyone nice. Um, you know, be good to everybody. Do, do the right thing. Yeah, it's kindness, yeah. isn't it? I always, I always say, don't I, Alice? I, I've lost count how many times I've said it. If, if the world was a little bit kinder to one another, we'd be in a far be better shape. Yeah, regardless of of whether you're you've got a disability or yeah. you're any other kind of minority or you know what whatever you're kind of however you identify yeah i think if you yeah. exactly if you're just respectful of people um yeah it's um there's no need to they, be... yeah that's all they expect they don't demand that i you know <coughs> treat them differently or treat them better or anything like that no they just you know want me to treat them like i would treat everyone else and working in this type of setting and you know nonprofits and working in um human services it's more about, you know, selecting a servant leader. Mm -hmm. mm. Um, I think you'll thrive and do well um, in that role if, if you have, if you're a servant leader. Um, and that's work not just with disabilities. Um, I have my peers, they work with homeless people, yeah. work with the elderly, um, work with children. So um, it just, it just takes a unique person. It takes a it, it takes a person that has has done some work within themselves to be yeah. a part of this community into you know <clears throat> this type of role. If if you're not willing to to do some internal work, you know th this just isn't a field that that may be like engineering or computers, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, where you don't have to have an actual heart. You know, you actually do need to have a heart. Yeah, to, to treat people with respect. Uh, yeah, it's a bit like over here. I find that um a lot of a lot of people that go into the care the care profession, for instance, a lot of mm -hmm. people think it's easy. And um, in my experience, this is talking from my own personal experience. There are a lot of people who 
just don't quite get the fact that you, that the person you are being a personal assistant for or carer for, um, if you if you're not like a, a sibling or a relative of, that there, there is this inherent need to be kind and caring. You know, it's not just a job. Mm. You can't just turn up for work and sort of have no emotion to it. You've got to be able to get on and and form that friendship pretty quickly mm. as well. I, I mean, think. <clears throat> Sorry, I, go on, Luz. I I know that um, when I go to work, so I have a, a personal assistant when I go to work who is there to help facilitate me, you know, so I can reach things and she, she does the occasional math problem because I am terrible at math. Uh, but she also helps with my personal care whilst I'm at, at work as well. And I can always remember somebody saying to me, isn't that really weird that, you know, you meet a new person that you are going to be a personal assistant who is going to be your personal assistant and then within like 20 minutes they're taking you know they're helping you with your personal care and I'm like well it's either that or I wet myself do you know what I mean and it you have to get over that barrier and, and realize this is awkward but mm -hmm. if you treat it with kindness and respect then we will soon get over it and it just becomes like second nature Absolutely. yeah and I think from what I've seen from you know working as an, an external person going into care homes and stuff for a few years in my previous job, um, one of the things, you know, you, you either see these people who are going, this is someone's grand, this is someone's son, yeah. you know, I, I'm going to treat this person with respect, I'm going to make sure that they're, you know, as comfortable and as happy and as well as they can be whilst I'm with them. Mm -hmm. Or you have the people on the other side who exactly uh, sort of as you say it's, it's almost as if i've got a list of tasks i've got to do and i've got to get those done and then i'll move on to the next thing but actually those tasks include helping an elderly lady to brush her teeth or bathing somebody changing yeah. someone's incontinence pads actually doing really personal intimate work with people who for whatever reason need support and help to be able to do it and it's... exactly yeah there's got to be that element of you've got to care you've got to have some you've level got to see of that, that person's a human yeah and... rather than a, a a task on a to-do list mm. you know um, absolutely you gotta have heart gotta have soul you, you have to to be uh you, you have to be human and um you know regardless of what you're doing in life if, if your heart's not in it then then you're not going to do well anyway yeah if your heart's not in it it's not for you is it really absolutely yeah i, I believe in that <laughs> yeah, absolutely yeah it's um i think you know when i said this to someone at work recently um that sometimes it i almost forget how privileged i am to have been able to do work on myself and my mental health and my emotional well-being to get myself to a point where I am able to think about the mental health and emotional well-being and you know physical well-being generally of other yeah. people yeah um that it is a privilege that I've been able to do that and that um that you know unfortunately there are lots of people like working in care services who who haven't had that who haven't been given the space and the time and the resources to be able to do that mm -hmm. um 
but just in the same as you know so so many the priorities of um resource provision from you know the those people at the very top the politicians and the, the commissioners making those those decisions those are not the priorities those are not the things that people are like this is stuff we've got to deal with no. um the priorities are making sure that things are it's almost the lowest common denominator of things mm. and mm. actually um mental and emotional well-being is not high up on that list but yeah. people don't realize i think that the knock-on effect that that has that you know if we were paying our care staff better then care staff would there would be more people who wanted to work in care so the staff working in care would feel less rushed and less mm. overwhelmed and so they would have more time and resources to spend with individuals and might actually begin to be able to treat people like individuals yeah. rather than going, well, I'm really sorry, I can't stay here and deal with you while you're like this because, you know, because I can't, I can't help you get dressed while you're being really distressed and so I'm going to restrain you it, because I've got eight other people to deal with. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think it goes back to over here in England at the moment, we've currently got a crisis with carers and PAs and disabled people not being able to find PAs to be able to live independently. And that is, uh, you know, something that to me is, is very worrying because whilst I live at home with my parents in a very loving household, there is, you know, I still want to be able to have that independence at work. Do you know what I mean? And, and to, to know that, well, if, if that if my current PA suddenly decides, you know, I can't do this job anymore for whatever reason, to be left high and dry, to then go, well, what do I do now? Do I settle for second best or do I wait and hang on and, and let my independence at work, you know, suffer whilst a, a, a parent or a sibling steps in whilst I'm at work? It's that kind of... It's very, it's a very worrying, and I'm very lucky that I only have a PA for work, you know, based activities. Uh, I do know people that live independently in their own home who still rely on PAs, and they can't currently live at home independently because they haven't got, you know, the PA shortage crisis or the carer shortage crisis. And it is that thing, if you pay your carers better, and it's like you say, you're going to get, I think... There'll be more incentive to sort of not only do the best by the person you're looking after, but it, it gives them breathing space to go, okay, I, I, you know, I've got time to sit with this elderly lady and help her eat a breakfast or whatever, rather than rushing her and giving her indigestion at half past eight in the morning, that kind of thing. It's, um, it's, but it's, it's very it's a very worrying time not just for for me but for all the disabled people who rely on personal assistance and care and 24-hour care kind of thing it's, it's worrying and it, it it does it's not just a problem for disabled people you know i think that if i look at you know around at my friends mm. there are very few people whose if your their grandparents are still with us there's very few of them whose grandparents are 
fully independent, how many of us have got elderly relatives in care? You know, this is a problem for for non-disabled people because it's a problem for their family. How many of us, you know, have been struggling to get doctor's appointments because there's a shortage of nurses and things like that? It's it is a problem across the board in that kind of healthcare provision. Mm. And so much of it is just because people are so overworked and underfunded that staff, you know, particularly following COVID, staff just went, I can't do this. They were putting their lives on the line to go into hospitals and go into care homes where they could catch COVID and we, we're paying them £10 an hour. Yeah, yeah. So it's, um, it is, it's frightening really, isn't it? It makes me cross. It's what yeah. it does. It makes, yeah. it makes me angry. <laughs> so what are the age ranges that you work with people, Davina? Is it, is it, is there sort of like a cut off point of people that you, you know, they reach a certain age and, and you kind of have to sort of very slowly withdraw support or is it, is it like life, life long or what are the age ranges you work with? Well, we, we work with um, zero to a hundred. So okay. yeah, we, okay. we work with, with small kids. We can work with, you know, elderly adults and yeah. everything in between. We work with, with everyone. Mm -hmm. And how many people work within your organization then? Uh, what kind are, of activities do you do? Yes, yeah, so we're a, we're a team of three. Um, okay. Myself, and then it, there are two peer advocates and maybe um, hopefully soon you'll be able to bring them on and speak with them as well. Yeah, that's that's on our long term plan. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, they would enjoy it. But we have a lot of um, programs that we do. Um, we're still working remotely. Mm -hmm. So um, we're doing a lot of virtual um, programs and we also do some in-person activities. Um, we do quarterly community education. We do leaderships, uh, trainings. We do uh, mentoring. We um, do a lot of outreach as well. Mm. Yeah. We have something called a peer support hour. We usually do that every month um, where we invite all consumers, allies, and advocates to come together and just have conversations. We have um, a topic usually for that month, and we talk about um, some things that's going on in the in the disability community or um, issues that people with disabilities are facing. It's very, very, very good. Um, the staff enjoy it as well as our participants. And how did COVID affect sort of like the way you work? Did you? Uh, I presume it all went online, did it? Or uh, you know, did anything have to stop or? You would not believe this, <laughs> but please be sure that this is a very true statement that I'm going to say. So Disability Resource Network was actually formed in the middle of the pandemic. Wow. Yeah, we started in 2020, so we've never operated outside remotely. Like we've, we've always worked remotely. It's right. the same with our podcast, actually. Yeah. We, we met in 2020. 
just before the lockdown it was yeah it was sort of just i think we'd locked we'd gone in the first one and it was like early spring sort or early summer late spring so we're the same we we had never operated outside of kind of working remotely um I wouldn't know what to do if somebody told me that I had to spend time with Lucy face to face. <laughs> no, no! <laughs> Can't pretend I've got some kind of technical difficulty. <laughs> right. <laughs> She's joking, ladies and gentlemen. I hope. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, so, so, so I guess was that like what? How was the idea? What was the idea around? I, you yeah, know, how, how did, how did how the did, idea start? Yeah, yeah. How did it? How did you guys kind of get born in the middle of the pandemic? Oh wow! So the Centers for Independent Living and the State Independent Living Council they've been trying to establish a Center for Independent Living in North Alabama for years. And so once it was approved for a center to be established here, that's when they had to start doing the work by selecting a director, which is myself and a team and and building the um, center and getting it set up to where we could be a independent center for independent living. So it's been in the works for years because I don't know if you know the geography of Alabama, but prior to Disability Resource Network forming, there were just three existing centers in the state, which uh, Mobile, that's, that's the southwest part of the state. Birmingham is the central part of the state. And Montgomery is more of the eastern part of the state. So we all service um, more than one county. And um, they, they were looking at expanding to the North Alabama area because the Birmingham office was trying to service. That was the closest office at the time. So they were um, trying to provide services to the consumers in North Alabama. And it was just them taking on their caseload and trying to service that that area or that part of the state. It just became to be overwhelming. So. Like I said, once everything got approved, they they uh, started the Center for Independent Living here in North Alabama, and um, they selected me as the director, and we had to work under the Birmingham Center for about a year. We completed our spinoff in October 1st of 2021, um, and we've been operating as a independent Center for Independent Living, um, and we're coming up on a year of operation. So. Yeah, it's, it's been a process and it's been a journey. <laughs> um, it wasn't intended to start in the pandemic. It just took some time um, for, for everything to get in order for them to start. And then once everything started, it just happened to be yeah. in the middle of the pandemic. <laughs> Doesn't that sound familiar, Alice? <laughs> <laughs> so I've just done a random cursory Google just um, out of interest because it's something you said there, Davina, about how there were three centers for independent living servicing the whole of the state of Alabama. Yes. Uh, I was like, oh, I wonder how many centers for independent living we have 
servicing England. And then I thought, actually, four. Is it four? Well, no, but oh. I, it, it will. I mean, there will be. There's. They will be at least one in every county. I imagine. Yeah. Um. And I thought, okay, well. So three is probably not a lot across the whole state of Alabama. I wonder, out of interest, how big Alabama is. Alabama is uh, 52,420 square miles, and there were three Centers for Independent Living servicing yeah. the entirety of Alabama. Yeah. We're working under the assumption that there's probably a dozen in England. England is 2,000 square miles smaller than Alabama. Wow, right. So a little bit of context there, but um, there that is three centres of independent living to serve a space uh, 2,000 miles large, uh, square miles larger than England. Blimey. Wow. <laughs> wow, 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 Well, kudos to you for that <laughs> This is why Alice does all of the maths. <laughs> I think, yes, that I, was awesome. <laughs> I just, I just, it, I just couldn't help but, I mean, three across a whole state, I thought that's tiny, that's really small. Yes. You know, and it, yes. I, it just goes back to the conversation we were having at the beginning about the difference between our rural experience versus your yeah. rural experience. Because <laughs> there are some states that have more. You know, mm. there are some states that have maybe 15 or 8 mm. or, you know, so, um, yeah, you're right. But now we have our center here, so that's four. So we're able to help and um, assist the consumers in this area. Um, mm -hmm. And they they've gone without this uh, service for so long, for so many years. So we're the first and the only Center for Independent Living in our region. And um, we've been tasked to provide consumer controlled services to the community. And we, we, we've been doing a great job and we're gonna be adding more staff members so that we can, can do more, mm -hmm. so that we can do more, so that we can operate in our full capacity and really provide those services, um, especially to those rural counties, but to all of our uh, consumers in North Alabama. What are some of your success stories, Davina? Have you got any sort of success? Like where you've been able to see a tangible, you know. Change. Or, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, yes, we. I do have some success stories. Um, we actually signed an MOU, Memorandum of Understanding, with a, um, there's a apartment, a apartment development property that will be, um, is projected to be, is scheduled to be developed in 2023. But they have to reserve at least four of the spaces for people with disabilities. So they have to be accessible. And um, they have to actually um, house people for disabilities. So we're, we were able to get into that MOU um, within our first year of operation. And it's going to do so much for yeah. the people here because housing is a big issue, <laughs> especially for people with disabilities, but for yeah. everyone mm -hmm. and affordable housing, affordable and accessible housing. because. Uh, Huntsville is growing, it's thriving, it, it's becoming one of the larger cities in the state, uh, one of the larger cities in the U.S., and 
you know, with that, the income is increasing. So that means um, housing has increased as far as the rent, mm. um, affordability uh, for people with disabilities and for everybody is just becoming a challenge. So when we were able to get that MOU in place and be able to um, bring housing for at least four people with disabilities, I mean, that has been one of the most successful stories that I've been able to um, add to one of our personal achievements here at DREN. And we're looking forward to doing so much other work, but that's definitely a success story. We also have consumer success stories. We have so many consumers that have been able to um, have transportation to their doctor's appointments because we've been able to connect them to resources. Um, We've been able to um, sit with other organizations and kind of plan and think about some ways to um, provide inclusive and accessible amenities for people with disabilities in our area. Um, there's just so, so very much uh, we've been able to, to achieve and do for our community and for people with disabilities. I, I, this is part of the reason why I was like really pleased when you came to us about wanting to come on the show, Davina, is I, I think that what the the Disability Resource Network is proof of is that um, that you can it's it's what can be achieved through kind of allyship and co-working that you know people who have different experiences different skills um and different kind of you know positional powers um people who have because because you guys work you know you're 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 working for an an organization you're going to have um a different uh, you know the ability to influence and um facilitate and engage in a way that a person on their own can't and it just goes to show that you know the the changes and the successes that can be achieved by people kind of working together and and supporting one another um i think something that you know we've lucy and i've talked about on the show before is that sometimes within the disabled community people can become quite um sort of caught up in the issues of their specific um kind of community so you know that you you may find that the blind community are only campaigning for change around blind issues the wheelchair using community are only campaigning for issues around wheelchair user user issues um and I think that, you know, the Disability Resource Centre is evidence that, you know, working with um, commissioners in, a, you know, who are people who are, have got kind of um, economic power and, and, and positional power, um, you're also working with, you know, your, your consumers, your people who've got lived experience, uh, your staff have got lived experience on your board as well you're working together and you're you are achieving things you've managed to get a an agreement that there's going to be four more accessible properties in your state than there were previously yeah and i just that's it's a thing i think that is not not talked about enough and i think that it's something that 
some people within the disabled community um, find difficult because I think for such a long time, the disabled community, you know, the, the non-disabled community has been the enemy of the disabled community. But actually, you know, there are people out there, as you say, with, with heart who, who can enable change not it's not just about making changes for people it's not just about doing things for people and who as well who aren't just doing it to make themselves look good or feel good they're doing it because they really do want to help i think sometimes a lot of people in the disability community can go oh well yeah they're just being an ally to make themselves look good to other people we've spoken about that before as well alice haven't we how mm. you know there are, there are some people who who you look at the long list of things they do and they think well actually who are you do? you know and it's a, a vast long list of things it's not just like one or two little things and there's no denying that there are people who do that there are those yeah. those virtue volunteering volunteering yeah yeah who you know they're doing it for that again going back to what we were saying at the beginning is because it's worthy it makes them feel good because yeah. they're helping these poor sad little disabled people but you know who you... can't possibly do anything wrong because they help disabled people you know we mm. we, we can't possibly get into trouble or do anything wrong um but it's it's nice to <laughs> doreen is laughing because she knows exactly the kind of people we're talking about <laughs> um... <laughs> i imagine you get those when you put job adverts out you sort of you're like i can smell this from a mile away you're not the right person for us <laughs> Yeah, you definitely got to get into it and make sure it's the right fit, you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Me and my team, we talk about it all the time. Before we bring other people in, there's definitely certain people that we're looking for that's going to fit our culture and fit, you know, what our center stands for. Yeah. You got to make sure that everything's in alignment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my boss did that with, uh, we recruited someone new recently and she said, we, they had the first interview and this person had come from the local authority, very sort of bureaucratic background. She said, I had to ring her afterwards and I said, I, I want to give you a situation, but I don't want you to answer as a professional. Answer is you, because I think you could do this. I just think you come at this from a wrong angle. Yeah, you've come at this from yeah. someone who's worked for the council for 15 yeah. years, mm. actually. Think about how you, you know, stop thinking about clients, stop thinking about box ticking and form filling. Think about yeah. um, this is a person that you're you're supporting. And, uh, and she's, my boss is so classic, my boss. Um, I will call the, the person we have now employed, uh, Julie. That is not her name, but okay. that's what I'm going to call her. Um, my boss said it. <laughs> at the, uh, in classic, my boss fashion, she went at the end of the call, she said, hello, Julie. And Julie was like, hi and she said no, no no i'm saying hello to julie because i feel like i finally met julie <laughs> <laughs> it took a while but we got there yeah, <laughs> that kind of thing. my uh my mom used to be chair of governors at the school that i used to attend so there was no me ever getting in trouble because she was <laughs> um, but she would she would interview members of staff and she said i could tell within the first five minutes whether this person was actually just saying it for saying it's sake or was over egging the pudding and like being too sickly sweet and like oh well she said and they were always they were always the people that would go well disabled people they're just so like little angels aren't they they're so like they don't cause any problems whatsoever my mom's like 
yeah, we know you're just saying this so you can get the job because you think it's what we want to hear. Spend like... five minutes with Lucy. Like, <laughs> yeah, to be fair. But um, yeah, you definitely do get a sense of you're in this for all the wrong reasons to make yourself look look like, well, I can't possibly do anything wrong. Like, don't look at me. It's not me the one that stole the money out of the tin. I work with disabled people or, you know, that kind of thing of, you know, and I volunteer at church on a Sunday, you know, it couldn't possibly be me. Um, you do kind of think, well, what else are you sort of like distracting people I ju from? I just <laughs> have to remind people that Ted Bundy worked for a suicide support hotline, so. Well, there you go. See? <laughs> Uh, on that note, I think, <laughs> Davina, um, where can people find the Disability Resource Centre online? What can, uh, and you know, where, where can we signpost people who might be listening, who might be eligible for your services? www.drn256.org. That's where you can find us. Beautiful, Fabulous. nice and simple. <laughs> I love it. And um, do you have any social medias or anything that you would like people to follow you on? Yes, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn under Davina Patterson. I'm on, well, don't send a request on Facebook. <laughs> we'll just do LinkedIn. Yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Thank you very much for joining us, Davina. Um, well, thank you, ladies. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to finally. We had to cancel on Davina while I had COVID, so it's really nice oh, to finally. To be get fair, Alice, you were you were gonna plow through, and I was like, you can't speak. Like <laughs> you sound like you smoke forty a day. Like no, we're not doing this. Poor Davina won't be able to understand you. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um. Guys, if you've enjoyed this episode, please make sure that you tell your friends. Um, we'd love to hear your stories about um, allyship and where, you know, having an ally has supported you or where you being an ally to another group has helped to make a difference. We really love to hear good, positive stories. So uh, head over to our Facebook community and make sure that you share those with us because, um, you know, it's it's a bit rough out there, so let's share some good stories. Yeah, let's look at the positives. Absolutely. And, uh, and we will see you all next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Label Podcast. If you like the show, you can rate, review and subscribe and you can follow us on social media at Labeled Pod. This episode was edited by Adam Hall. Our music was by Maisie Crunden and we'd like to thank the rest of the team involved.